We would like to welcome you to today's sermon delivered by Pastor Stuart Guthrie. We hope that it challenges, strengthens, and encourages your walk in the Lord. I wonder if you ever considered the tremendous effect that that weather has on our lives. Now, when I prepared this message, I didn't intend for it to be raining, but how sufficient for the rain to be falling. Weather affects how we respond to life. You know, I I wake up fairly early in the mornings, and typically on a normal day, if it's raining, I go out, I don't see anybody. The rain has prevented people from going outside, doing their daily walks. The bad weather prevents people from going to the park and playing with their kids, and you don't see kids riding around in the neighborhood on their bicycles, and you don't see motorcycles zooming up and down the highways. Because the ultimate reality is is that weather affects our lives. And we know that because when it's sunny outside, we see something completely different. We see kids playing. Early in the morning, I see flashlights bouncing up and down as people are running up and down the highway getting their exercise in. And we see kids at the park and bicycles up and down the street. And we see motorcycles driving by the church here to pray. Weather affects our lives. Climate. If we're going to talk about weather, we've got to talk about climate. Because climate in the same way affects our lives. Climate is that which we predict is going to happen. Or the average over a period of time. But the reality is climate can affect where we live, what we do. When I lived in Montana, the climate was what I called Arctic. It was really cold. And so the climate determines what we plant in the ground, what we eat, the kind of work we do, and the time of the year we spend it. And the reality is is that weather is what we get. Climate is what's predicted. You know, if we compare this to much like our lives, climate and the weather, how we live, what we do affects those around us. What we do, what we say, how we respond, how we act, how we manage our home, our families, our marriages... And how we live our lives affect every single one around us. Just like the weather prevents people from going out in it. When you do see people out in the weather, they, they're changed. They have clothes on. They have uh, raincoats on, rain suits on. And so the weather affects, and so does our lives. All of these different things will affect the people around us and how they respond to you and to me and to our ministry to our church, to your invitation to the gospel message. So what is it in your life? What is the climate of your life and how is it affecting those around you? I like to call it our spiritual climate. Do we have a climate that repels people? Or do we have a spiritual climate that invites people, that draws people close Today we're going to learn from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Two simple verses. Peter in the context is really dealing with Christians. We know that because, well, the scriptures tell us that. They tell us that. 
just before you will hear about who they were in Christ. These are Christian people. And he's teaching them how to deal with people who are not of the faith in our daily lives. And so as we look through, Peter's going to teach over the next few chapters how they are to live their lives among a group of people who don't look like themselves. He's going to talk about how we are to deal with leaders. You know, we live in in a time when the political uh, arena is really up there and people are going nuts. They're, They're going crazy over this thing. How are we going to respond in the midst of that to leaders? How are, how, and the scriptures talk about in the, the latter part of chapter 2, how slaves obey the masters. Now, we don't have that in our day, in our culture, but we have workers and bosses. And how are we as believers going to respond to an unbelieving superior over us? And then he's going to continue on to talk about Wives and their submission to their husbands, and then ultimately how we respond to one another. That's the context. And what we find is the introduction to that. And Paul, Peter is going to show us that our deeds, that our actions, that our lives, they affect everyone around us. And so this morning, I really want us to notice four factors that affect these around us in this passage of Scripture today. Three. Number one, we need to know where. You may ask the question, where what? what? What about the where? Well, we'll talk about that. We need to know the where, we need to know the what, and we need to know the why. Three simple things that we can remember. As we journey out into a life, into a culture that is anti-God, that is anti-Christian, we need to know the where, the what, and the why. So if you will, let's begin with the where. We need to know where, number one, we belong. Do you know where you belong this morning? In the midst of tragedy, do you know where you belong? In the midst of difficulties? In the midst of living and working for a boss that may not run his business like the Christian values of, our, of ourselves? Do we, do we know where we belong? Peter begins his introduction with a with motion, an appeal, and he begins by saying, Beloved, beloved, these are Christian folks. We know that because he says just prior, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And if you're here today, and if you're a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then take this message, take this passage is directed towards you and to me. Because the same Christians that were hearing it then, we're the same kind of Christians that are hearing it today, and we need to know how to respond in a culture that doesn't think like us, that doesn't live like us, and that doesn't look like us. Or they sh- at least they shouldn't. If we're going to live lives as effective Christians that we want to first start by knowing where we belong. And I want to say first, we, we understand that we belong to God. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's bought you with a price. You are not your own. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ. 
If you're here this morning, you say, well, I'm not really a believer. I've never, I've been to church. I've even read my Bible. I do a lot of good things, but I've never really placed my faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. There's always a little tad bit of salt and pepper added to it to add to my works, to to make me feel like I've accomplished something when Jesus says, listen, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is not a way. He is not the best way. He is the only way. And no work, no effort, nothing that you can do will satisfy that separation that has taken place when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. We have to trust alone in Jesus. And my prayer is that if you hear this morning that God in his great mercy will draw you to himself today. Because no matter what we think, the Bible says that none are righteous, no, not one. None seek after God, no, not one. But God, in his great love and his great mercy, has reached out to you. And so my hope is that you will be drawn in today into a personal, intimate relationship with the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because we belong to God, and we need to know where we belong so that we can have effective lives as Christians. We are children God's holy possession. But notice in Peter's motion to the believers, he calls them strangers and aliens. He calls them strangers and aliens. Every year that I travel out of the country, we don't, that doesn't really settle well with us. But if you leave America and you go to another country, or if you're from another country and you come to America, you get it. You understand what it's like being an alien and a stranger. Because when I'm standing in Punjab, India, and I'm among a group of people, I am yet but a stranger and an alien. This is not my home. That is not my place of residency. And, and Peter wants us to understand Guys, that we are but, as Christians, aliens and strangers to this world in which we live. This is not our home. We try to make it our home. We don't belong to this world, but rather we're aliens and strangers. Earth, the United States, Texas, Greenwood is a temporary place of residence. Do you understand that this morning? Because understanding that will allow us to respond differently in the world in which we live. It will allow us to be more effective in our outreach to people around us when we understand this is a temporary place of residence. He is coming again one day, as he said. And he will bring us to himself and we will inherit the kingdom of God and and our new home, our new bodies. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tragedies. And the reality is, is that we will be where we have been called to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our focus, our lifestyles should reflect that the kingdom of God is where we are from. When I go to America, I act like an, when I go to India, I act like an American. Even though I don't mean to, it just comes out because that's where I'm from. That's my home here on earth. 
but really and truly I'm but a stranger and an alien. Abraham understood that he was not a resident of this world. David understood that just like his fathers, he was a sojourner. And so when we look in Psalm 39, 12, we see this example. When he says, hear my prayer, O Lord, give me, give your ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you. And I am a sojourner like all of my fathers. David understood that this was not his home. This is not his place of residence. But sometimes we live like it is. We can build, you can grow, you can obtain, you can prepare, you can store away, but none of it will go with you. None of it. The only thing that will be where you go is what you've sent ahead. So I ask you this morning, do you know where you belong? Because if we truly know where we belong, where are we investing? Are we focusing on those that are things that are temporary? Or are we focusing on those things that are eternal? What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? We need to know where we belong. But secondly, we need to know the what. We need to know the what. What is it that we need to do? Now, the what has both a negative and a positive side to it. Peter is going to now begin the process of showing us this mandate. He begins with emotion, urging you as brothers, urging you as beloved, as aliens and strangers. That's the mandate, the, uh, the, the motion. And now, now we're going to begin the mandate, what we are to do, the appeal, so to speak. And so he starts out with this motion, this appeal, and now the mandate. He gives a strong appeal that these people are not of this world, And we need to act and behave in a manner to act like what we're really, where we're really going and where we're from. And so the first mandate really takes us to the negative side of what he's going to explain. And that is what we're not to do. We need to know what not to do. We teach our kids, we tell our kids, you should do this. But we don't ever want to forget to tell them what they should not do. There, there needs to be a fine balance in what we're told to do and what we're told not to do. We don't want to be a, 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 a Christian that only focuses on what we're not to do, but we need to focus on the positive side. But he begins with the negative, and so that's where we're going to start. He says in verse 11, he calls us to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. The first word that we find here that we should really look into is the word abstain. What does it mean for you and for me to abstain? What does he mean by that? The Greek here gives the idea of, of keeping away from, uh, staying back from. The fact that Peter calls us to abstain, also I want to bring to your attention, to be at distance from or to be far off from, shows us that we as Christians can abstain we can abstain he's not calling us to do something that's impossible 
He's given us what? The Holy Spirit. He's given us a new life in Christ. The old things have passed away and behold, the new have come. And so he's given us everything we need pertaining to life and to godliness. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can conquer and abstain from these fleshly lusts. It's through the power and the dwelling of the Spirit that we can abstain. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin. You're no longer under the law of sin. You've been redeemed. In this morning, if you find yourself at enmity, separated, not in unity with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're still under the law. And you may find it very hard to overcome those things because you're still living in sin. And those things impact the way you make decisions. But we who are Christians, we've been set free. Christ has broken those chains. And we no longer have to obey sin. We can abstain. Romans 8, 5 really speaks to this same experience. Verses 5 says this, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. This morning, if we find ourselves consistently living a life of habitual, living in the flesh, then we need to question where we are spiritually. Because the man who is of God is led by the Spirit and lives by the Spirit. Do you know what your spiritual climate is this morning? How is that life in which Christ is redeemed and saved and regenerated? How is that when you reach out to the people around you? Are you drawing people or are you repelling people? Are you like a sunshiny day or are you like a rainy day that prevents people from going out? 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, I have it underlined, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so many of us, we need to know where we belong, that we're not a part of this world, yet we need to know what not to do. And what we need not to do is be a man of fleshly lust, to be a woman of fleshly lust. You see, this sin has been around for a long time. There's nothing new about the fleshly lust because it was there in the beginning in the garden. The world only has three things to offer you this morning. And the tree in the middle of the garden offered all three for Adam and Eve. You remember? It was good for food. That is the lust of the flesh. It was pleasing to the eyes. That is the lust of the eyes. And it was desirable for gaining great wisdom and being like God. That is pride in one's lifestyle. That's the only thing the world has to offer you, the three things. And this morning we know that Peter doesn't want us to be partakers of fleshly lust that wage war against our very soul. 
And this morning, maybe you're living your life and you're battling through some difficulties. You're battling maybe through some addictions. Maybe you're, you're battling through some sin. And Peter wants you to know, abstain by looking to Christ. And through prayer and through time and through the filling and dwelling of the Spirit, God will begin to work those things out in your life. And he will begin to deliver you and make you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ so that when you go out into the world and you begin to proclaim Jesus Christ to this community in the community surrounding this community, in the state, in the nation, and even across the seas into a different world, God will use you like never before. One writer said it this way, and I thought it was good. He says, worldly and fleshly lust." are the distemper, that's a virus that, that animals obtain, that, that dogs obtain. It's a distemper which will not a, allow contentment or satisfaction in the mind and rise up to the exclusion of prayer and the working of our affections toward God. Let the Christian be free from the friendship of the world and be submitted to God, thus shutting and bolting the door against the devil. And so many times, our lust, our, our passions, our desires that are ungodly, they hamper. They hamper our prayer life. They hamper our relationship with the Lord. They hamper our affections toward God. And many times it spills out in our lives and in those around us. The devil has no new method. Fleshly lusts were provoked in the garden. And in Galatians 5, 5, 19 to 21, Paul has laid out what those are. He says this in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. You know, we, we think we hide fleshly lusts, but the Bible says they are obvious. There's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, distension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. This morning, I want you to understand that God loves you too much to leave you where you are. Because if you live like these things and you do these things, you will have a negative impact on those around you and you will end up hindering the work of the Spirit in the lives of someone around you. Listen, there's nothing worse than sharing the gospel with somebody. And I'm willing to bet you, if you're faithful in sharing your faith with other people, you will encounter this. You go to share the gospel with them and you tell them about Christ and they begin to tell you stories about Christians. Oh, I know you Christians. I see you in church on Sunday, but then I see the way you live Monday through Saturday. If that's the way Christianity is, brother, I don't want nothing to do with it. And you see what's happened is our lives, when we leave church and we go out into the community, they begin to affect everybody around us. And we become a witness for all of Christianity because one bad Christian means all Christians are bad, right? One bad Baptist church means all, bad, all Baptist churches are bad, right? We know that's not the case, but that's the reality of the way it's thought. That's their worldview. That's the way they believe. 
And so if we're here today and we're, we're living in lust of the flesh, we need to stop it. We need to repent of it and turn back to God who loves us and desires us to be effective, to be in great fellowship so that we can, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, be an effective outreach for Jesus. We can hide from our sins from the world for some time, but we can't hide it from God. He's all-knowing. He sees all things. He knows where we were, what we've done what we've said, how we've responded to our spouses, how we've treated our wives and wives treated their husband. He knows how we respond to our kids. He sees our impatience on the streets. He sees our impatience with our workers. He sees our desire for money and how we short on our taxes. He sees what we watch. On TV, what we pour into our eyes, what we allow into our ears. One day it will show itself. And this is the sad part. It may not show in you, but it'll show in your kids. It'll show in your ministry. You may hide it really well, but our kids don't hide stuff very well. They are what they eat. What they see at home is typically what they become. That's not always the case. I was talking to a man yesterday about Chuck Swindoll, one of my most revered leaders in the Christian community, and how his son has stepped away from the faith. Chuck Swindoll's son. And so there's a reality and a reliance on the Holy Spirit to really impact people's lives. All we can do is teach, train, and equip. But if we are sending mixed signal to our kids, we're telling our kids, don't go out and get drunk and we're at home pouring them back. We're going to send mixed signals. They're going to be confused. They don't understand that. Kids, I don't want you to do things that are bad for your health, and yet we will toke on a cigarette. What are we doing that affects those around us? And I personally bring it to me because I have seven kids. I have no idea how those kids are going to turn out, but I trust in God, the Holy Spirit, as I pray for them every night. God, I pray for their wives. I pray for success. I pray for them to be protected from evil. I do all of these things because I love them and I want to see them succeed. And and I believe the way that I want to live my life should be honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when I do walk out of these doors and I do go into this community and I begin to share Jesus Christ, no one can look at me and cast evil against me. So what we do does have effects on those around us. Right now in this moment, there's never been anything in history that is destroying the churches. There's nothing that's destroying pastors or marriages or young people more than pornography. We ain't going to go into details because there's little ears, but you get what I'm saying. It's destroying the body of Christ. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your kids. Every single man and woman ought to have a filter on their internet. You look at my phone. I don't have Safari on my phone. No, why? Because I'm not so foolish to think I'm above it. It used to be we had to go to a little store behind the screen. Remember those days? Well, now, no. We can take it wherever we go and have free access at any moment. And it's destroying the body of Christ. James McDonald alleged this. He said, there are leaders who will surf the net for pornography, walk across the hallway, give leadership to our kids, then will instruct our deacons and elders. 
and then come and lead worship and then go home and often until midnight till one in the morning they'll surf pornography. And how do we know that? Because the fail rate in pastoral ministry is huge. And so we have to set standards. We don't meet with women one-on-one. We don't meet with children one-on-one. We set up boundaries. We set up walls to protect us because the enemy, listen, he knows where to get us. He knows right where to sucker punch us. And then we sweep it under the rug as the body of Christ and say, well, we, we can't talk about those things in the body of Christ because they're really, in, they're not politically correct. Listen, shame on me if anything prevents me from being politically correct when we need to be biblically correct. We better be watching what we put in our eyes. Because I'm here to tell you, I know that it will affect your marriage. It will affect your kids. And it will affect your ministry and the way you live your life. Don't allow the devil, the footstool, the the crack in the door to get in. Put a filter on your internet. Have accountability. Everywhere I surf on the internet, my wife gets an email every week that tells her exactly what I've looked at. Why? Because I want to be above reproach. I want you to be able to trust me and say, all right, listen, I trust that guy because he, he set boundaries up and standards. Listen, there's always around boundaries, right? But the reality is, is set up what you can and allow the Holy Spirit to change you inwardly and, and remove that filth from our lives. It's a killer. It will kill you, period. It has no gender, it has no race, it has no ethnicity. It prefers anyone and everyone. Forbes said that it's a 10 to 14 billion dollar a year industry. That surpasses any sport league, NFL, Major League Baseball in what they make in finances. It is an industry that is saturated. It is saturated. And it's affecting It's affecting our people. It's affecting us. Abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. There are other things that are fleshly lust, right? We talked about many of them. It may be the pride of life. Does it always have to be your way or the highway? That's pride. That's a fleshly lust. And it wages war against your soul. God wants us to be a people after the Lord Jesus Christ on heart. The way we walk and win is by the power of the Spirit. And we have to do that to be effective, to prevent negativity from flowing from us. That's the negative side. But then he calls us to a positive side. And now Peter's going to make us know what we are to do rather than what not to do. He says this, he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. As Christians, as Jewish Christians, they were to be pure and holy among all the people in which they found themselves surrounded. They were strangers and aliens among the people in which they were around. And he says, keep your behavior excellent. Abstain from carnal passions. Listen, those were, a, those were a highly valued thing for that time and for the people. 
the Greek philosophers of the day watched Christians and how they lived. And if they lived lives that were holy, that were honored, it would have been recognized by all. And that's what he's trying to communicate. Every culture views Christianity differently. If you deal with a Hispanic, if you go to smoke a cigarette, you're not a Christian. That's what they believe. That's in their mind. That's in their, in their DNA. That's where they come from. Every culture has a standard. And I can promise you America is becoming a standard where they are watching us. How do I love you and how do you love me? How do husbands respond to their wives and how do wives respond to their husbands? How do we deal with our workers and workers deal with their employees? And how do we deal with our leaders? How do we deal with a leader who's not godly? How do we deal with two leaders who are not godly? We have to respond so that we're effective. And so he says, be excellent. But why? Because Peter's instructed us to do so. And so just like the climate, the weather that is bad and it pushes people away, so the, the life that is contrary, that is good, is the weather that draws people to us. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a sunshine, a daylight that draws people to come and to soak up the Word of God like people soak up the sun. Peter wants us to live in the midst of a lost world as salt and light. Not like the world, but light up the world. We don't have to dress up like clowns to witness to a circus because Jesus is the light of the world. And we need to point Jesus, people to Jesus, because he is simply enough. There's no methodology. There. It's Jesus is the answer to our hope, to our eternity, to our salvation. And we don't need to decorate Jesus up and put him out on the street corner and try to sell him. We wouldn't do that with our children. Uh, yeah, I want my, my, my daughters to be married to godly men, but I'm not going to dress them up and stick them out on the street and say, Look at this cute little Jesus. No, Jesus says he's enough. His ways are pure. His ways are right. His ways are holy. And so we need to live a kind of this lifestyle evangelism. Now notice that, that nobody's getting saved by the way we're living, right? It's simply talking about how we respond and how people respond. We need to have a lifestyle evangelism. But we need to have evangelism where we share the hope of Jesus in the midst of that as well. When we live out our lives with excellent behavior, God will use it. We need to know where. We need to know what. What we are to do, what we are not to do, and we need to know why. Why is it that we do what we do? And Peter gives us the reason and he says, So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Think about that. What a load to carry around. If you have to perform A, B, C, and D all the time, and that's going to affect somebody's salvation. I don't think that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, be wise. Be wise in how you live life. Depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to transform your life, to give you the ability to go out and to be holy. There's nothing wrong with being righteous. You know that, right? It's desired. God calls us to be righteous. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 
God has given us this righteousness that's in His Son. If we're willing to witness effectively among the people whom God has called us, then our lives should reflect that character as a child of God and a residence of heaven. Because our deeds will have effect on the day of visitation. Luke 17, 2 says it would be better for them to have a thrown a, into a sea with a millstone tied around their neck rather than to see one of these little ones stumble. Leading people in the wrong direction is not a good thing. And how we live, how we respond, how we act, how we love one another will affect those around us. And it will affect them for negative or will affect them for positive. These are the factors that affect our everyday life. And Jesus is and will always be the example for each one of us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so we need to encourage one another to be holy, to be righteous, while relying and trusting in Jesus. John 15, 8 reminds us, if the world hates you, you know it has hated me first. Because you are righteous and because you are holy, you will be among a people who will lash out at you, who will mock you, who will make fun of you, and who will treat you sorely. But you just keep living that righteous life in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will help them glorify God on the day of His return. Jesus was crucified, yet He loved. Jesus was beaten, yet He endured. Jesus was rejected, yet He pursued after us. He was crucified, yet He pursued after us. He pursued after you. Wanting none to perish, but all to have eternal life. He loves you, and He wants you to be effective for His kingdom. He wants you to know where you belong. He wants you to know what you're to do and what you're not to do. And He wants you to know that He loves you and that He cares for you. And that you can be effective for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you desire that? Is that your hope? Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, your greatest response that you can have is to know Christ for who He is. You can have today a place that you can begin to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. The greatest of responses is for you to trust in Jesus. Would you do that today? Let's pray.